Light and darkness don't battle with each other. You flip the light on and darkness is gone, right? So darkness actually only exists in the vacuum of the absence of light. We're the light. We're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. If the people of God were to be full of faith in their heart, the very last thing we should do is run from evil, but run to the battle. I think some of us are worried that the light will get dirty if we get too close. Don't leave the world to the flies. Where's our faith at right now? Good morning. Good morning. Sure glad that you are here. I mean that sincerely. I um, want to welcome all of you on the way in. Uh, to any one of our campuses, they give you the notes. You might want to get a pen or a pencil out. There's a few fill in the blanks. Um, if you learn better by just listening, that's fine too. Whichever way is best for you. Uh, you, you feel comfortable to do that. Um, just real quick, an update. Last week, um, I talked about an opportunity that's before us that we're really excited about. If you didn't hear it, let me say it to you for the first time. If you did, let me give a little more information because we want to point direction to it. First of the year, 2016, um, I just felt like the Lord was really putting it in my heart to, to get serious about planting uh, what is really our sixth campus, our fifth physical location. We have an online one <clears throat> that um, God uses in a pretty tremendous way. It's really, it's really neat. But our sixth campus, we want to plant in the Parker area. Uh, the, yeah, I, I get that. Parker people. Wait a yeah. Um, so what, what we do is we look at demographics, uh, zip codes, people that are driving 20 minutes or more to any one of our campuses. When it reaches a certain level, we say to ourselves, um, their, their involvement level is only going to be hearing a message, not being part of community if we can't get a church in their community. So we feel like we need to leverage that and we need to plant a church in the Parker area right now. That's what we, what we want to do. And so I just begin to pray about it, dropping a few hints about it, talking about it, really feeling like the Lord is, is saying to do this. But my question is, how do you want us to do it? I mean, do, we, do I raise the money for it? What, what do you want us to do? And I felt like the Lord just said, just wait and watch and I'll, I'll, I'll show you. So here's, here's what's happened for us, and it's really a, it's a very fortuitous thing, only a, a God thing. Um, we lease our Highlands Ranch campus building. That's where all of our offices are located. We all office out of one place, and our Highlands Ranch campus is there. And we put it in that contract several years ago that we'd have the option to buy the building this year. We can exercise the option now. So we looked at the opportunity, what was written in the contract. We can buy that building for $2,500,000. That's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. We went to the bank with it. We just said, look, we were thinking about buying this. Where would we stand if we did this? So the bank said, in order to give you that information, we have to actually do an appraisal. If you've ever bought real estate, you know how it works. You have to go through the whole process. You're at their mercy, uh, their valuations, their, their everything. They came back after they got done, and here's what they said. You can buy it for 2.5. The value is $3.9 million. So there's a million and a half equity sitting in the building before we ever do anything else to it. Here's the really exciting thing about it. By owning the building, rather than leasing the building, we're going to uh, change our um, expenses by about $25,000 a month to the good side, not to the bad side. How would you like to change your expenses yes. by 25% instantly? Would that, yes. And then gain a million and a half. It's just a, it's a, only, only God can do something like that. So here's how this could work. We then would take that money and just simply use it to plant our campus. We would not have to change our budget one little bit. Uh, here's the challenge, though, that's in front of us. 
Uh, if you've ever bought real estate, here's what the bank wants from you. They always want a little bit more than what you have right there on the spot. So what they've said to us is, we need $500,000 in the account above and beyond your expenses. We keep several hundred thousand dollars in the account, but it goes to expenses. It goes to missions. It goes to just everything that we do as a church on an ongoing monthly basis. They want $500,000 above that sitting in the bank that when the loan closes, it's just there. They don't keep it. As soon as the loan closes, it's our money to do with whatever we want to do with. What we want to do with it is plant the campus with it. That would be the startup cost for it. And then out of the budget, the money that we would save in our outgo, our expenses, we'd be able to fund the campus until it gets up on its own feet and it makes it happen. So what I'm coming to you with is that right there. We need to raise a little bit of cash. So let me put it in perspective. It's a month's worth of offerings in our church. Our church gives about $500,000 a month total with all the campuses. We need to raise an extra month. That's what we're talking about. It's not like going into a year or a two period of trying to do something. What I'm asking is to everybody consider, could you do a little bit more right now over the next 60 days to help us fund this campus uh, to get this done. It puts our church in a tremendous position for the future, just to be honest with you. Uh, it blesses by allowing um, the mission, the vision of the church to go together. But I'm just, let, me, let me be honest with you. I know people will look at it like, hey, we're sitting here at Lone Tree. We're at Lakewood. We're in, we're in Castle Rock. What, what do we care about, Parker? And I know that sounds terrible. Some are like, we shouldn't feel that way. But I, look, I get it. Why, why should you build a Parker campus? You, maybe you built the one that you're sitting in right now. Here's the, here is the reason. Let me just let me say it to you. We all have the great commission that's been laid before us. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. Do you believe that? Amen. So do you believe that you'll stand before God and answer for what you did with that right there? Not all of us are called to stand up and teach like this. Not all of us are called to go in different. But we can all participate in this when you partner in doing things to reach people for Jesus, when you do missions, man, when you pray for people, when, when, you're, when you're part of processes like this. The number one way I know we win people to Christ, we plant this church, I will guarantee you not hundreds, but thousands of people will come to Jesus over the next 10 years if we plant this church. I know it for a fact because I've seen what God's done in the last 18 years with us. So I'm talking to our people. If you're visiting this morning, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to our people people that call JFC home and get the vision, get what we're trying to do. This is not a big arm twister fundraiser. There's no you know, thing to pick up and pledge. I'm asking you, would you just pray about it and do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do? How about that right there? And we'll use that as our answer to what we're supposed to do going forward. Is that a fair way to do this? Okay, pray about it, whatever God tells you to do. Uh, do it. Um, we're in the process right now of wanting to get going with that. So if you know, I talked about it last week, uh, let's do it. If you need to go home and pray about it, do that. Uh, but uh, thanks for that. And I will update you as we're moving through uh, the process right here. Thank you for giving me time to talk about that. Let's, let's get after this. Grab your notes, grab your pens, pencils, however you want to do it. Uh, let me welcome all of you uh, into our services today. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, going to begin this way. Our series is called Salt. We're just simply using a familiar verse of scripture that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The only reason I'm just using this as a verse right now, I have so many believers talking to me about politics right now. So many people in our church talking to me about the condition that they think the world is in today. It seems like so many people are telling me how negative they feel and how depressed they feel and how, how upset or afraid they feel 
of the world today. And I'm just like, that, that's not what Jesus ever taught that we're supposed to feel about our circumstances. He calls us salt, light, and a city set on a hill. I'm pretty sure he didn't want the city on the hill to be a depressed signal that it's sending out to the world. Would you agree? I think it's supposed to be something that's very positive, and very encouraging, and very upbeat. So I think what I, I would just talk about during this series is just what our attitude is supposed to be towards the world today, how we're supposed to engage with it. Pastor DJ had a teaching meeting this last week, uh, two weeks ago. DJ had this really uh, cool um, sentence. I boiled it down to three words here. This is DJ. We need to have contact if we want to have impact in the world. It took DJ about 100 words to say those three <laughs> Right there, okay, that's, that, if you know him, that's the way he is. He can, he, he's, he's very sentence-structured, heavy. I had to take what he said and boil it down to three words. But really what he's saying is, and I think this is what Jesus would say, if you want to have impact, you have to have contact with this world. You can't be afraid of it. You can't act like, man, I don't know what to do. Or it's just gone just the opposite way of the way that I would want it to go. Man, you have to have contact for impact. So I began to teach this last week. Uh, I taught different ideas and thoughts about where we are just in the process of our country and what's going on. Uh, I had some people that said to me, Pastor, you know, you're, you're a pastor, of course you feel that way. Uh, one guy even said, you look at the world through very rose-colored glasses. What an old-fashioned statement that is, fella. How about that right there? So let me, let me say this so that you don't think I'm dealing. Uh, look, my feet are on the ground. My head may be in heaven. But my feet are on this ground. I do know what I'm talking about, and I do deal. So I'll just give you four thoughts real quickly concerning the times we live in so you'll know I get it. One, look, here's what the Bible would say to us. Don't be surprised when you see evil out in the world. Don't be surprised. Why that's so surprising for believers, I don't know. Maybe we're the ones wearing the wrong colored glasses. We shouldn't be surprised by evil happens in this world. It's a fallen world. And instead of being afraid of it and running from it, we should be the ones, man, with an answer to it, engaging it and trying to change it. Look, here's the truth. Evil has been defeated, but it's not yet destroyed. Until Jesus comes back, it's not yet destroyed. That's why we're here. Two, how about this? Ultimately, here's what I know. Truth will win out when it's all said and done. Amen. So let me, let me give you hope. Take your Bible, flip to the very last page, read it. We all win. He gives away the end of the story. He doesn't even leave it up for a debate. We're going to win. Truth will win out. I know right now it looks like evil is having its way. And God, just look around the world. Evil will not win ultimately. How about this? The best thing you could be doing right now, if it is the evil day that we see and we look around and we feel like, I don't know what's going on, follow good examples. So look, I, I'll just, I, I don't want to theologize, I don't have time to do this. Matthew 24, I brought it up last week. Matthew 24 is the most clear, concise teaching we have by Jesus on what the end times will look like. Jesus himself said, look, it, it's going to be rough at periods. There's going to be things that we don't understand. Here, here's what you can do, is what Jesus said. Matthew 25, by the way, when Jesus teaches, Jesus never stops and go, hey, write this down. This is Matthew 24, verse 13. Yeah. Okay, this is Matthew 25. You know Jesus never taught that way, right? The only reason we have it that way is so so that you can open a Bible and know where, okay, this, this is the middle of this letter right here. So Jesus would have spoken in a message. Somebody would have transcribed it. It would have been written down. Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are one long teaching. Listen to me on this. So Jesus is teaching in Matthew 24 about the end times, and then he continues teaching, and he uses a parable or a story 
to illustrate the end times. And he talks about 10 virgins. What a strange thing to talk about when you're talking about the end times. But they represent the church. And this is what he said. Five of the virgins were foolish. Five of them were wise. And here's the difference. The wise ones kept a little bit of oil in their lamp so that when the bridegroom came, they could instantly get up and go into the feast. The other five didn't have any oil. All 10 of them fell asleep. And when the bridegroom called out, it's time to go to the wedding feast. The five who were ready got up and went right in. The five foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil. And here was the reply. If we give you some of ours, we won't have enough to make it. And the five foolish ones were caught outside rather than inside. What does that mean in light of Jesus' teaching about the end times? Here's what it means. I think it's the most direct understanding of being part of a group of people who love Jesus. Stay around people who love Jesus and you'll keep oil in your heart. And if you find yourself outside of that group of people, dude, you could get caught in a place you don't want to be. Yes. You could get caught in a place unprepared. And no matter how much you cry out in that day, there won't be the opportunity to change it. Hear me on what I'm saying right now. I'm not an old-fashioned preacher, but I'm telling you this is Jesus himself saying to us, keep yourself with people. Be a part of discipleship, man, where it's, it keeps your heart in the right place. And last but not least, here, here let me just, just real easy. This is my favorite part of the first part of the message. What does the Bible tell believers to do? when it comes to evil. It says you've got to find the right candidate to vote for, right? No. <laughs> so what does the Bible tell believers to do when it comes? Oh, I know, convert your money to gold. Some of you are like, I'm, I've been doing, I'm getting a lot of food together. So let me tell you what the Bible says that you should deal with, um, how you should deal with evil. Look at this real quickly. I, this is just, it's a beautiful scripture. Um, it's Paul. Paul actually takes this his teaching directly from Jesus. Uh, this, look at this. Don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Here's how, here's how you deal with evil. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy. Work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, here's what you do. Be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Look at this. Bless those who persecute you. That's easy. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil. Say it with me. With more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. And then look at the end of this. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, he pulls this from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He said, if they're thirsty, then give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame upon their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. Let's read it together. But conquer evil by doing good. If you live in evil times, don't draw lines on who you're going to hate. Don't decide how you're going to picket or protest. Don't let the world begin to dictate you 
what happens in your heart. Here's what, you have to do the opposite of what this world wants you to do when confronted with the evil in it. That's why this message is so critical because if the church, who else would even take the place of Jesus on this earth? Who else would do this? All right, I, I'll move on. So I'm just gonna talk about influence today. Simply being called salt means a lot of different things, but one of them is that we have influence. I'm gonna talk about influence of your family, but let me, let me broad base this message real quick. If you have influence of any kind, this message will be for you. If you wanna influence your friends, if you wanna influence employees, if you wanna influence people you work with, if you wanna influence your wife, influence your husband, your children, your grandchildren, if you have any influence at all, then this message will be for you. I think that one of the things the enemy works really hard on with believers is to make you feel like you don't have influence, that what you say doesn't matter, that how you live your life doesn't have any effect. It has a tremendous effect on it. I'm gonna go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. I know some are like, can anything good come from the book of Deuteronomy? There's a lot of good in Deuteronomy. In particular, the Old Testament takes a teaching. Jesus actually, what I'm gonna read to you, Jesus actually taught on in the New Testament. The beginning of Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, it's just, it, it's how to influence people, but it just begins this way. Uh, you and your children, and I, I picked this particular transla- translation because this next word, so you, your children, and what? Grandchildren. Your grandchildren must live and fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. That's pretty simple right there, but he's just simply saying, you have the opportunity to influence generation after generation after generation. You should do these things. The next part of the chapter just simply is the writer telling how to influence. Jesus borrowed on this when he taught. So let's just do this together. And I'll let the Bible speak for itself. These are not my opinions. These are not things I learned at a conference or things I read in a book or even things that I necessarily like wrote down that I did. They're things that I saw in the Bible that I just tried to let it speak for itself. I believe that they're true and they're right. So the next part of Deuteronomy chapter six just reads simply this way. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That is called the most important commandment. Jesus was walked up to by a young lawyer and the guy just simply said to him, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And the guy said, yeah, I've kept all of them. Jesus said, well, let me sum it up for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Give everything you got to God. The guy walked away sad because he couldn't give the most important thing that he had, his treasure, to God. Jesus taught that same verse taken from another writer's perspective, just simply this. The most important commandments are summed up in these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people like you love yourself. If you'll do those two things, all the law is fulfilled in those two things right there. So the writer here is just simply saying the most important thing you can do to influence people, number one, is just really have a genuine love for God, man. Not, not some like, like, hey, I love God or we're Christians or we're a Christian nation. It's to have a passionate love for God. What I mean by passion, let, let me put it to you this way. Uh, in my 50s, now I started this church in my 30s. And when I was in my 30s, I had a lot more energy than I have in my 50s. Anybody else? know what I'm talking about, right? And I still think I'm in pretty good shape and I still have a lot of energy and I still get after it. But here's one thing that I know, that even in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s and now into my 50s, here's the one thing I know. In my teaching gift, what I think makes me special, what I think makes me different, I don't think I'm the smartest guy. 
I certainly don't think I'm the most eloquent person. When I hear myself, like right before the start of the series, and I hear myself teaching, I hear all of my quirks and my, I can hear my southern accent come out, and it bothers me like crazy. You ever listen to yourself and just, you know, you think you have a weird voice? It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. And I look out and I think, what are you people sitting out here for? Can't you hear how that guy sounds right there? I thank you. Here's what I think makes me special. I think that I am still very passionate and I believe everything that I teach and I think my passion comes out when I teach and I think when you teach from the heart, it reaches people's hearts, yes or no? And if you teach from the head, you can reach the head, but just because you get the head doesn't mean you get the heart. Here's what I know, get the heart, you'll get the head too. If you can engage the heart, you can engage the entire person. That's what's being said here. If you want to influence, if you want to be that person, if you want to have a personal uh, opportunity to influence, man, be passionate about Jesus. The lowest form of leadership, listen to me, is title. If I stand up and I say to you, I'm pastor because my business card says so. (laughs) Because on my door it says, Pastor John. That doesn't make me a pastor. Just like because you have a child doesn't automatically make you. There's a dad and then there's a father, yes or no? Okay, dad is like, you're the dad because you biologically created something, but you're a father because you own it and take care of it. Okay, I'm a pastor not because of my title. I'm a pastor because I lead like a pastor in this church. I am the father of this house, and I'm passionate about that. The lowest form of leadership is title. The same thing is true as a believer. It's not enough to say you're a Christian. You've got to be passionately in love with Jesus to be a believer. That's what God wants from you. There's no influence by saying we're a Christian nation. There's influence when you live like a Christian. Man, when you sacrifice and give to God what belongs to God, that's what the world wants to see. And telling people we're Christian, title is the lowest form of expression. Stand up and live that thing and be that thing and be filled with that passion. That's what the writer's saying here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your... Dude, I still get passionate about it. Something goes off in me. I... I don't know. It's like I reversed the aging process for a little while. And when I get home, I'll be tired and I'll tell my wife, ah, let me take a nap. But right now, I feel like I'm in my 20s when I teach the message. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And if you want to influence, the most important thing, passionate love for God. Without that, it's only tight. You're just talking and nobody cares about what you say. They care about what you do. They want to see that you really live it, that you really mean it, that it's really true inside of you. I think the next part of the verse just simply goes on. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and then you. Look at the word right there. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. So I just wrote down number two. Want to influence? Okay. Do as I do, not as I say. Do as I do, not as I say. Listen, I had this really cool experience that happened for me last night. And I love this scripture because it says, influence yourself, influence your children, influence your grandchildren. Man, passing what I believe onto my grandchildren is really, it's really important to me. So I walk in uh, to this sanctuary last night and my youngest grandchild, uh, as he's, he's standing, he's just past one, he can walk around right now, he can say a few words, but he loves to worship. And Katie and Jay have done an excellent job turning this little kid into a worshiper. He can't even, I mean, you know, he knows a few words, you know, shut up, he knows that one pretty good. <laughs> He knows no, no. He'll say love you and he can have anything that I have in my house when he says that. (laughs) But I walk in last night 
and he points at me. And he goes, Pop. So I come over to him, pick him up. And Jay's playing, that's his dad. And Ez just lifts his hands up while I'm sitting there and is just trying to sing the song and just moving like this. So I'm putting my hands up with him and we're just having the best time. And I put my hands down and he tries to push my hands back up. So I'll worship with him still. Passing on. Listen. I don't know what I'll actually ever leave behind. My, my life took a different turn. Being a pastor meant I wasn't going to make all the money in the world. And I wasn't going to lay up all the stock in the world. My, I, I went to lay it up someplace else. I'll reap on it some other time in my life. So I may not leave behind uh, a lot of stuff for them. But what I will leave behind, I believe, is a genuine faith that was not do what I say, but your pop lived this out every day and you can see it. And now my kids and my grandkids are embracing it and holding on to it and taking influence, man. Influence your friends. I look around this sanctuary right now and I see some of the people that, I, that I'm in great relationship with and I've known for a long period of time and I think to myself how much I've tried to influence for right things over the years. Influence them in their marriages, influence them in their relationships, influence them to do more than what they know they can do. To be an influence. I'll give you the next part of it. Just think the, the thing teaches itself. Pull that back up for me, fellas. So it says, the next level of influence, look at this. So, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then you must commit yourself to it. And then look at this. No, go, yeah, you were in the right place. Repeat them again and again to your children. The person that wrote this actually had children. Yeah, because it's again and again. <laughs> you see, you know, any of you ever dealt with a kid, and how many times do you have to say something? Once, twice. Three, yeah, three times, like in a minute, over and over. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you get up, tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here's what he's saying. When you walk in, when you walk out, when you sit down, when you get up, whatever you do, talk about what you believe and say it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and I'm going to preach like an old man for a minute. I want you to hear this. I've been saying for a long time, trying to get people to listen to me, the most important thing you can do with the ones you influence, start when they are young and continue to influence. If you give up the right to do it when they're young, trust me, you are not leaving them in a neutral place where you're waiting for them to grow up and decide what they believe on their own. What you won't speak to, the world will fill that void with instantly. So I'm going to show you something. I, I, I don't do it a whole lot, but some things just grab my attention, and I think to myself, I'll talk about this. This is the, uh, the Denver Post, our newspaper. It's from March of this year, and this is the front page. See it? Okay, so I'm not making it up. Here's what it says. Um, gender and sexuality in preschool. Not gender and sexuality in high school college, but in preschool. 
Here's how the sentence begins. Just listen to this, okay? A four-year-old, say it again, a four-year-old Aurora girl was kicked out of preschool last month when her parents raised questions about books read in her classroom, including ones that told stories about same-sex couples and worms unsure about their gender. I'm not saying it shouldn't be taught at some level, and I'm not saying that it's not out there. It's not what I'm saying. But here's what the world knows that believers aren't getting. And here's, I'll sum this article up for you. Here's what the school system said. The reason we're teaching it at this age is because if we can get them right now, it's not debatable later on. Look at me. Get your kids right now so it's not debatable later on. Teach them truth now. Here's your number one job. Teach them the difference between right and wrong so that when they're adults, they'll know the difference between right and wrong. And that's the thing today. I'm telling you, here's the battle inside of the walls of the church. Not outside, but inside the walls of the church. We have a generation today who doesn't know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. When we were growing up as a believer, here was the number one verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever loved him would not perish. Believed in him would not lose their life. Here's the number one verse today. This is a proven fact. Judge not lest you be judged. It's in the Bible, but the two differences between those, one was about salvation and one is like we don't have the right to even think about things. Speak up. Influence while you can. It's not a social commentary on whether I think that's right or wrong. Here's what it is. It's a principle. Get a person when they're young and formative with truth. It's harder when they get older to get truth into them. Hmm. All right, I'll finish it up. Five. So here's one, passionate love for God. Two, do as I do. Three, teach, repeat, talk, repeat, teach, repeat. Four, start young. Five, teach, repeat, talk, repeat, teach, (laughs) repeat. Just never stop teaching. Never stop influencing. Never, don't do it. I'll let you in on a secret. Um, some of you, it's, it's, maybe you're thinking, Matt, how do you creatively do that over the long period of time? So uh, for 18 years, I've taught the same thing every weekend. And here's the message. You can either recover or discover the promises of God. You can recover everything that's been taken from you. God will give it back to you. It doesn't matter what's happened. If you will come to God, you will give yourself to him. God will give it back to you. If you don't know God has things for you, come to God. God has things for you that you don't even know yet. You can recover, discover the promises of God. And I've taught that same thing for 18 years just in different ways. And it's amazing when people get that message what it does in their lives. I teach it like a father talking to his children. And I try every week to encourage and encourage and encourage. And I say it over and over and over again. I've done it for 18 years. And if God will let me, I'll do it for another two or three and then retire. Now I'll do it for another... (laughs) Different. I came one place to give my life to one group of people. Amen. I know that's not like super duper ambitious. Well, 
Thanks. I'm, I'm not asking you. I'm trying to tell you something. Yeah. Uh, I thought if I could influence one group of people over a long period of time, then I could stand before the Lord and say I did what I was supposed to do. I didn't ever see it as a stepping stone. I didn't feel like it was just for a little while. I felt like the way I would influence the most was to be willing just to come one place, good or bad, strong or weak, good days or bad days, just be there long term, man. Give yourself to it. Be steady. Show people over the long term how to do it. Yeah. That's what I think I did. That's what I'm trying to communicate. That's, that's what the Lord wants from us. It's engage. Get involved. Contact for impact. And you don't have to get a picket sign. You don't have to scream. You don't have to be, man, just get involved and be that person God wants you to be in the middle of it. Watch what God can do with it. All right, I'm done. Lord, want you to take this right now and to make it what you need it to be. And Father, I don't want it to be a message where people misunderstand, uh, get caught on one thing that I said and let that trip them up. God, I pray that they would take the message in its entirety and hear what's the Holy Spirit trying to say to me through this right here. What's God want me to do and who does he want me to become? Who does he want me to influence? If you're a student here, maybe he wants you to influence other students. You got to start where you are. So what I would tell you to do is just simply make a vow today. What do I mean by that? Just tell God, here's where I am and here's where I want to be. God, today, make me that person. Start where you are. If it's in a family you're a dad, then decide, okay, here's where we are as a family. Here's where we want to be. God, help me be that person. If it's a mom, God, here's where we are. Here's who I want to be or where we want to be or what we want to do. A grandparent, I have such compassion for grandparents at this point. What an honor you've been given. Here's where we are. Here's what I want to see happen, God. Maybe you own a business. Here's where we are. Here's what I want to see happen. Maybe you're going through a really difficult time right now and it's really tough to feel influential. It's really tough to feel like anything good is ever going to come of it. God, here's where I am right now. God, here's where I want to be. Make a vow. Tell the Lord. Ask the Lord. Start where you are. Father, help me to be the person you need me to be right where I'm at today so I can be where you need me tomorrow. I ask the Lord would just bless you and help you open your heart and mind right now, speak to you about possibilities and things you're just simply not even aware of what God would have you be. So many of us wonder, why am I even here? How about to be influential right where you are? To not be overwhelmed, but to overcome. Maybe just see this message from what God would have for you. And I pray this now 
in Jesus' name. Amen.